<laughs> okay, so it was a custom of the priesthood that they would uh, take turns going into the temple and and person was chosen by lot. The priest would be chosen by lot um, from the, the group of priests that were on duty, the division of priests, to go into the temple and to, to burn the incense. And it came, or the lot fell to Zechariah. And he is the second of our four original Christmas carolers that we're going to uh, have a look at this December. The background to his story you've just had visually presented to us. It's a fairly dramatic sort of story. And we'll explore it a little today, but it is well worth taking the time to just read through that encounter that he had there inside the temple. You'll find it in the first chapter of Luke's Gospel. And we're going to pick up that story today from verse 57. So the time has come for Elizabeth to have that little baby that was foretold. She gives birth to a boy, just as the angel Gabriel had told her that she would. And her neighbours and her relatives understand that the Lord has shown great mercy to her. And so they share with her in her joy, just as we would if we had a friend or a relative who for many years had been trying to conceive a child and had perhaps long since given up any hope. And then in their latter years, uh, they do conceive a child unexpectedly. Who wouldn't be happy for them? It's happy news. Here is this older couple who've probably for many, many years, longed for a child and long since given up hope. And yet here they are with a newborn baby in their arms. And then comes the eighth day when baby boys would be circumcised and everyone assumes that he will be named Zechariah after his father. We don't have that tradition so much these days. Some people still hold to it, um, but back then it was very common that a, a newborn baby would be named after the father, and if not the father, then another relative uh, within the family. But Elizabeth says no. He is to be called John. So somehow in that nine months of, of muteness, uh, Zachariah has been able to, to write down some of these things, uh, communicate them to his wife, and she knows that this baby is to be called John. And everyone is shocked. They're perplexed by her response because there are no relatives called John. And so they go and consult Zechariah and he asks for a tablet to be brought to him, a writing tablet. And he writes simply, his name is John. And so ends nine months of muteness. Suddenly his tongue is loosed and he begins to speak. And praise just kind of wells up and out of him. And you might say, well, of course, he's a man who's longed for a baby and now he's able to hold his own newborn son. It's a miracle. Of course, praise is going to flow out of him. And indeed, it is a miracle. But in Zachariah's mind, it is even a greater miracle than what everyone around him knows. These are not the words of a grateful first-time dad who thought fatherhood had passed him by. They are much, much more than this. 
So if you'd like to turn to uh, Luke chapter 1, we're going to read from verse 67 to 80 together, and that is uh, Zachariah's song that he sings, a prophetic song. Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 80. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Well, for Zechariah, there was absolutely no doubt about the significance of this child. He was not just their much longed for and long awaited firstborn son. He was part of something that he recognised was much much greater. Their friends and relatives were simply overjoyed for the couple that they'd given birth to this child in their latter years. And certainly Zachariah's nine months of not being able to speak and then the sudden return of his speech after the naming of the child had got them talking and wondering, verses 65 and 66 tell us that. But beyond that, they just don't seem to have that bigger context that Zechariah has. And that's hardly surprising because Zechariah was given a behind the scenes pass to the plans of God in this respect. Have you ever been in a situation where something has come at you completely out of context and you have just completely misinterpreted it? Now, I spent a whole week trying to think of an example that would illustrate this point. And then about a week ago, one just fell into my lap and I knew straight away. So as most of you will be aware, our three pastors and a number of others from this place were advised last week that we were all primary close contacts of someone who tested positive to COVID-19. And we found that out towards the end of the week. So on Friday, we all needed to go for testing, Friday a week ago. And we made the decision to return to church online for last week so that cleaning could be done and so that we could all get our test results back and make sure everything was okay. 
Well, two of my girls were in a concert that weekend and I didn't want to miss out on it. And Bruce and I were taking kids in all sorts of directions on that particular Saturday, or we were due to. So I wanted to make sure that I had my test result back as quickly as I possibly could so that I could be involved in everything that we had planned for that Saturday. So I got up early on Saturday morning and at 6.45am I was hoping to be the first in line at the Repat Hospital for a COVID test. I was 40th in line at 6.45am um, and it doesn't open till 7. But my early start did pay off because my result came through that same night at about 8 o'clock and so I was free to go about all my activities on Saturday with my negative result. So on Friday night, I chose to break my happy news to my two colleagues here, Pastor Glenn and Pastor Bruce, via text message. So I sent to them what I thought was a very clear text message that explained the outcome very well. This is what I said. I am feeling so negative tonight. <laughs> well, I got donuts from Pastor Bruce. I don't know if he even ever read the text message. But 20 or so minutes later, I got quite a concerned message from Pastor Glenn. Why? <laughs> negative about what? And the poor guy was probably thinking, it's, I know it's been a hard year, but how did I not notice that she's cracking up like this? To which I simply replied, think, and I hope you start feeling as negative as I am soon. <laughs> I thought that would help him along, but I think it just confused things even further. So I received from him a little picture. <laughs> of Winnie the Pooh thinking, and I thought that meant, oh, I've got it now, I figured it out. So I just continued about my business on Friday night. Until about another 10, 15 minutes later, I just about fell off the couch laughing. I still can't figure out what is causing your negativity. <laughs> so I can only imagine what was going on in the co-household that night. I don't know if Lorna was consulted about my mental state or, or what. Um, so I thought at that point I better put him out of his misery and just send him my test result um, with, with a question underneath, got it now, uh, to which I got the reply, ha ha, good one, yours is very quick. <laughs> Without the correct contents, messages can easily become confused. They can so easily take on a meaning or a purpose which was never intended for them, and the truth can be very easily distorted. And we see that exact sort of thing happening every Christmas, as people ooh and ah at the nativity scene with very little understanding of the background contents and what it's actually all about. My local shopping centre has a beautiful nativity scene, which they continue to display every year. It's relatively small, but it is beautiful. And I'm glad that it has endured and held its place there in the shopping centre around uh, the ringing of cash registers that happens all around it. This year it's in quite a prominent position, it's at the top of the escalator and thousands of people must pass by it every single day during this Christmas shopping rush. Many of them, I notice, pause to stop and look at it 
And I wonder what they see. Is it just for them a moment of nostalgia? Perhaps it brings back some memories from their, their childhood. Is it just a cute little scene to look at? Or a pleasant pause that maybe evokes some happy memories for them, makes them feel all warm and fuzzy inside? Or do they understand the bigger picture of what this is all about? See, without the wider context, we are in danger of making it about whatever we want or of missing the point entirely. We become a little bit like Elizabeth and Zachariah's neighbours and relatives, happy to celebrate the joy each year, happy to celebrate joyful news of a baby's birth, but perhaps not quite aware of the bigger picture of what's really going on here. Zachariah, as I've said, he had the advantage of that behind-the-scenes pass to the plans and purposes of God. He'd heard firsthand from the angel Gabriel just what was ahead of his son, and he'd had nine months of being unable to speak to anyone to kind of ponder all of that. And when finally his muteness lifted from him, he breaks into song. And when he does, it is us that get the behind-the-scenes pass right into the heart of that remnant of the godly Jews. And our video clip this morning introduced us to the fact that between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, there was this period of some 400 years during which God was completely silent. The glory days of the Exodus and then the monarchy under King David those were all long gone in history. And the joy and the glory and the wonder of them all was most likely dimmed by the reality of life under successive foreign rulers. Not prepared to heed the warnings of God's prophets, God's people found themselves in exile under Babylonian rule. God raised up Cyrus of Persia and they were eventually able to return to their land but they remained under Persian rule and it was the task of prophets like Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi to remind them that there was more to look forward to than just their present reality. After the Persians came the Greeks who through Alexander the Great toppled the Persian Empire Still, the Jews find themselves living under foreign rule. They're surrounded by foreign idols, life is still difficult, and there's still no sign of this promised Messiah. Next come the Romans, and still God's people are suffering under foreign rule. Where is God? They must have been wondering. It has been such a long time. A thousand years thereabouts since King David and 400 years of long silence. Where is God? Has he forgotten his promises? The scriptures told them that he is merciful. The scriptures told them that he is powerful. The scriptures said that he does not forget his promises. And the scriptures said that he's coming. 
But when they looked about them, that would be harder and harder to believe with each successive generation. Yet still a righteous remnant remained, faithfully observing the Lord's commandments, observing all of his regulations blamelessly, people like Zechariah, people who were upright in the sight of the Lord, this faithful remnant continued to believe that God would not forget and that he would indeed come to redeem his people just as he had promised. And when finally God spoke through the angel Gabriel, Luke tells us that it was first to Zechariah. And we don't have time this morning to cover all that Gabriel said to Zechariah, but I just want to highlight four things contained in two verses briefly this morning because they help us with that context that helps us to understand this song of Zechariah. Firstly, um, verse 13 says quite simply, your prayer has been heard. And that is a fascinating little verse to think about because we're not told exactly what his prayer was. What was it that Zechariah had been praying about? And we can only surmise what it was from the answer that is given. No doubt he prayed long and often for a son. But verse 18 indicates that they had long since given up on that. So I think it's reasonable to conclude that his prayers here were for God's people, suffering as they were under Herod. As a priest, Zechariah would have been well-versed in scripture and he would have considered himself a representative of the people before God. And so in that respect, it is not surprising that the subject of his prayers would have concerned the well-being of the people. And so it seems reasonable to conclude, therefore, that he was praying that the Messiah would come and deliver those people. And God hears his prayers and God does what God so often seems to delight in doing, and that is bringing all things together through his prayers his current prayers and his past prayers um, for his own purposes. If we skip down to verse 17, there are three things contained here. Verse 17 says, And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And you can almost hear the cogs turning in Zechariah's mind as these words are spoken by Gabriel to him. He would have known these words. They were among the very last words of God before those years of silence began. They were hope-filled words spoken by the prophet Malachi, recorded for us in the book Bearing His Name, which is the last book in our Old Testament. So take a good long look at that verse. 
particularly the bits that I've underlined and circled. Keep them in your mind as we flip back to Malachi. Malachi 3.1 reads, See, I will send my messenger, who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. What did Gabriel say that John would do? He would go on before the Lord to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then to the very last words in our Old Testament, Malachi 4, 5 to 6. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Again, what did Gabriel say about John? He would go in the spirit and power of who? Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Nine months Zechariah has to think all of this over and you can feel the words of Malachi turning over in his mind. Elijah comes before that great and dreadful day. He turn the hearts of fathers to their children. A messenger will prepare the way. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come. The one you desire will come. He's coming. That's what Zechariah understands. The one we've been waiting for is coming. The Redeemer is coming. Our time of waiting is over. He's coming. God has not forgotten his promises. He is coming. God is merciful. He's coming. God has remembered his holy covenant. He's coming. You get a sense of how difficult that nine months of not being able to speak must have been for a man who's suddenly realised that the plans, or this part of the plans of God, are about to be fulfilled. And when finally his tongue is loosed to speak, filled with the Holy Spirit, the man breaks out in prophecy. And it is this simple message that he is coming that dominates his song. This is not the song of a man happy because his wife has given birth to a child in her older age. This is the song of a man who understands the context. This is great news. Babies are always great news, but this was greater news. Greater news because of what it means. It means he's coming. The one that they've been waiting for is coming. And everything that a devout elderly priest could have hoped for Israel, for the people, was about to be realised. The wheels are in motion in this next part of God's plan. Their Redeemer is coming. And it was going to happen in Zechariah's lifetime. And his son, 
His own son, the son that he thought he would never have, has been chosen to prepare the way for the Lord. So that theme of God's coming brackets this whole prophetic song. Verse 68, the opening verse, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. And then right down near the end of the song in verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. The song itself sticks out like a sore thumb in the New Testament because it is full of Old Testament language and Old Testament themes. Zachariah sings like he does because he understands that backstory. And the Old Testament is the backstory. And that's why we need the Old Testament. It's why we need to read it because it helps us understand the rest of the story. He understands the gravity of what it means to be redeemed, verse 68, because he and his people have lived so long under foreign rule. He knows what redemption looks like because he understands the exodus when Israel was redeemed out of slavery in Egypt. And he knows that Moses points forward to another far greater redeemer who would redeem his people from the consequences of their sin. He's coming with a saving purpose. From the prophets, Zechariah would have known that salvation would come from the line of David. And now he's coming. And he's coming in strength, symbolised by that horn in verse 69, the horn of our salvation. From his earliest days, Zechariah would have studied and memorised the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, God's covenant with Abraham and all of those that came after him would have been ingrained. It would have been part of who he was from the earliest days of childhood. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And then for the longest of time, it must have felt that they really weren't all that great at all. And they weren't really much of a blessing to anyone at all. They had waited for a long time for this. But now he's coming. God has not forgotten his promises. He's coming. He will rescue the people and will enable them to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness. Abraham, Moses, David and the prophets, all of them knew that he was coming, but now really he is coming. And this child, this one called John, would be a prophet of the one who was coming. He would go before him and he would prepare the way for him and he would give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins and all of this was because of the tender mercies of God. A faithful remnant had held on through many years of darkness and now Zachariah knows without doubt 
that he is coming. God's going to do what God said he would do. The light that Isaiah spoke of some 700 years earlier was about to break through the darkness. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them, a light has shone. Isaiah spoke it and now Zechariah sees it coming. And he sings in verse 78 of the rising sun who will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. This one, the saviour who will guide our feet into the path of peace. Light for those living in darkness, life for those in the shadow of death and guidance for all who have lost their way. Zachariah's song resounds with all the fullness of one who understands the purposes of God. He gets it. He sees what God has done. He knows what God is about to do. He has watched. He has waited. And now he's just overjoyed. And we also have that same behind-the-scenes pass. We have the backstory right here in our Old Testaments. But do we approach Christmas with that same joy? Do we have that same appreciation for what it means to be redeemed? Do we have that same gratitude to God for being faithful to keeping his promises? And that same desire that Zachariah had to serve him in holiness and righteousness for all of our days. Zachariah was just so happy that Jesus was coming to redeem his people. But now that he has come, do we, the redeemed, share that same happiness that Zachariah had at that first Christmas. Instead of zooming in this Christmas on the nativity scene, why don't we try broadening our perspective? See what Zachariah saw. Experience that big picture and feel and share his sheer joy at the prospect of the one who was coming on that first Christmas day. Will you join with me in prayer? Father, I thank you that Zachariah's song has been recorded for us. We confess that it's often something that we skip over in search of the more familiar birth narrative that comes right after it in our Bibles. But Father, I believe that you put it there for a reason because its presence reminds us of your great plan. It reminds us that the birth of Jesus was not a surprise to you nor was it unexpected, because Jesus is the fulfilment of the law and the prophets. Most of all, I think it reminds us to share in that same joy, that relief, that anticipation of all of those who had waited and remained faithful, patiently enduring, and could now see that he was coming. Help us, Father, 
to be like them, to remain faithful, to endure patiently until you come again. Amen.